Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in to Magnify, a podcast dedicated to equipping Christians with biblical truths through the lens of apologetics so that we can magnify Jesus Christ in our daily lives by making him known to the world. I'm your host, Justin Begley, and I'm so grateful that you decided to join in with us today as we discuss a very important topic that I think will be, will be both informative and encouraging in our current cultural circumstances. If you like this podcast, make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review so that others can see this podcast and listen too. We know that as Christians, we are mandated to share the gospel with all people and from Matthew 28, the Great Commission, make disciples of all nations. We can't effectively do that unless we understand the beliefs carried out by the people that we're trying uh, to share the gospel with. In our culture today, many Christians kind of find this to be a difficult task. A lot, a lot of Christians will fear uh, being labeled as a bigot or being chastised for their beliefs, or maybe they're fearful of rejection. But I'm hoping that today you'll hear a word of encouragement on how to minister to people who have bought into into kind of various cultural waves uh, that are, in many cases, hostile to Christianity. Today I want to look at what is probably uh, America's loudest religion. Maybe not the most popular, but certainly the loudest. And the, the religion I'm thinking of is something called the religion of wokeism. Now you might be asking yourself, what in the world is wokeism? Are you talking about kind of like being politically woke? Well, sort of, but what I'd like to do in this episode today is examine how and why uh, wokeism has kind of emerged as a worldview in the West, particularly in America. And what I want to do is I want to examine its roots and uh, kind of then examine how we as Christians ought to respond to it, namely in evangelism. So what is what exactly is wokeism? Well, in essence, it's kind of this tribalistic, godless religion that is doctrinal in nature and has a kind of ordinal hierarchy. Jamil Giovanni, author of Why Young Men, Rage, Race, and Crisis of Identity, a book, describes woke, wokeness in the National Post as a religion based on the belief that prejudice and discrimination are present at all times, like an unseen spirit influencing our every thought or action. He describes the religion as performative and ritualistic. Cultural commentator Ben Shapiro says, The religious nature of wokeness is a substitute for religion. People are filling a God-shaped hole in their hearts with performative virtue signaling. And what what the virtue, he goes on to say, what the virtue signaling is really designed to do in the end is to separate you off from the non-believers. It really isn't designed to actually be virtuous. It's amazing to watch this blossom and become the state of religion in the United States, he concludes. So the religion of wokeism uh, kind of has catechisms requiring its followers to recite particular slogans, even if they don't understand them and kind of ritualistically condemns or cancels those who refuse to do so. Though these uh, slogans may change kind of seemingly day to day, devotees must adhere or face 
kind of this sacrificial cancellation. The only way to be uncanceled then is to repent and plead with the woke priesthood uh, who arbitrarily has the authority to forgive you of your sins as long as you do exactly what it says. The priesthood will uh, often mandate public atonement rituals or where you must recognize your guilt, publicly confess your sins, and apologize until the priesthood says you can stop. And even then, you still might not be allowed back in. Consider, for example, J.K. Rowling, that fa the famous author who wrote Harry Potter. For years, she attempted to appease the woke crowd, even retrospectively asserting that Albus Dumbledore, the powerful wizard from her Harry Potter series, may in fact have been gay, even though there wasn't any tendencies uh, or uh, to, to suggest that in the original volumes of, of books that she wrote. But when she refused to parrot the rhetoric of transgender activists later on, she was immediately canceled and was even sent death threats for her apostasy. Some of the more recent ritual uh, developments have to do with the issue of race. Uh, some of these rituals include white people washing the feet of black pastors and community members to repent of their whiteness by recognizing their white guilt and privilege and parroting media talking points about systemic racism. And this is kind of like how critical race theory formed and why that's being so pushed and widely accepted because people are afraid that if they don't accept critical race theory that they might be canceled. Wokeism says that if you don't perform said rituals, whether it be critical race theory or something, some of the aforementioned things, that you won't have, quote-unquote, salvation. Now, keep in mind, the salvation that, that the woke talk about is kind of nothing more than being temporarily safe from cancellation. Now, just as the doctrines are kind of ever-shifting with no um, obviously explicit standard, the hierarchical leadership is likewise unstable, at, at least until one of the woke leaders gets canceled. The religious leadership is um, its sort of primarily made up of maybe blue check marks on Twitter or members of the mainstream media or Hollywood uh, and big tech elites. The leadership is primarily authoritarian in nature and monitors its followers very closely to ensure doctrinal adherence, ready to censor, cancel, or remove social media users at the first instance of heresy. Now, at this point, you may be asking, where did this religion come from, and how did it pop up so fast? Well, to answer that question, we kind of have to first understand that the development and emergence of wokeism was not, in fact, fast, but was actually instead of a rather subtle evolution of otherworldly philosophies, primarily postmodernism and New Age spirituality. Now, to get at wokeism's roots, we're going to first exa examine its Postmodernist roots. Brian Dugnan, senior editor in philosophy at Britannica, characterizes postmodernism as a movement of broad skepticism, subjectivism, or relativism, a general suspicion of reason, and an acute sensitivity to the role of ideology in asserting or maintaining political and economic power. Melford Spiro, a late professor of anthropology at UC San Diego, said this about postmodernism. He says the postmodernist critique of science consists of two interrelated arguments, epistemological and ideological. Both are based, however, on the central postmodern notion of subjectivity. First, because of the subjectivity of the human object, anthropology, according to the epistemological argument, cannot be a science. 
And in any event, the subjectivity of the human subject precludes the possibility of science discovering objective truth. Second, he continues, since its much-vaunted objectivity is an illusion, science, according to the ideological argument, serves the interests of dominant social groups, namely males, whites, westerners, thereby subverting those of oppressed groups, females, ethnics, third world peoples. Christian apologist Amy Orr-Ewing says that the postmodern skeptic raises numerous challenges to the Christian worldview, often focusing on on ideas of power and authority and fall into three basic categories. Theoretical questions about textual authority, historical questions about textual authority, and existential questions about textual authority. So they are very skeptical towards things like the Bible, like the Constitution, like ancient philosophers, all these things uh, that kind of used to characterize the what would really now be considered the foundations of today's West, the U.S., Europe, everything that those uh, kind of countries and nations and systems and cultures were founded on, the postmodernist is very skeptical of those ideas, those textual authorities, and anything having to do with the philosophy that undergirds those foundations. Now, much like postmodernism, the religion of wokeism doesn't actually believe in objective truth. It's very skeptical of religious doctrines of authority, especially Christian ones, and rejects the notion that the Bible can speak to any existential questions of emotions, desires, and ethics. We see this really pervasively on modern college campuses. For instance, where uh, students are taught to live their truth rather than to follow the truth. Truth is whatever students feel it is, they argue. If students are exposed to the truth and are offended by it, then universities provide quote-unquote safe spaces where students can discuss their traumatic experience of being confronted with truth. College campuses, which have widely embraced postmodernist thinking, are notoriously hostile toward Christianity, and the exclusive claims it makes for salvation makes them even more hostile. Professors often refer to the doctrines of the Christian faith as bigoted and closed-minded and, ins- and assert uh, instead that there are actually multiple ways to God. And to say that uh, Jesus is the only way is arrogant and there's no one way that is best to reach God. They say that all lead to the same end. All religions lead to the same end. Confusedly positing that all religions are fundamentally the same and superficially different, when in fact the opposite is true. All religions are in fact fundamentally different and at best superficially the same. Now the rejection of objective truth by the postmodernists has been key to the development of wokeism today, something that Christians ought to be keenly aware of. Now what about New Age beliefs? How are these expressed through wokeism? And first, what even is New Age beliefs? Well, New Age philosophy is kind of tricky to define because it's based in a very old and primarily Eastern spiritual system. So if you're from the West and you're not familiar with Buddhism and Hinduism and some of the other popular spiritual systems over there, and even Buddhism and Hinduism has multiple different kind of sects or or denominations that kind of flow off based on different ideas of, of reality, Um, I wouldn't blame you for not being well-read in those areas because, you know, it doesn't seemingly affect the way of life, but how New Age is kind of 
influenced Western philosophy and, and, and our, the Western way of life, um, it helps to kind of understand what exactly it is that New Age teaches because it is becoming increasingly popular. Now, New Age encompasses a wide variety of, of expressions and takes root, as I said, in Eastern religions like Hinduism and different forms of Buddhism. It's also rooted in philosophies like the Advaita Vedanta. So I probably didn't pronounce that very well. It's a, but it's basically this idea that the inner self is the same as the absolute reality. Um, and it kind of takes, uh, takes hold in, in some of the teachings and writings of, of Shankara, a Hindu philosopher who lived around 800 AD. So this is very old philosophy that is becoming increasingly popular today. Now, more modern teachings of New Age have been drawn from teachers like, maybe you've heard of some of them, Vivekananda and Sri Sri Ravi Shankar and Deepak Chopra. There's a Christian apologist and expert in, uh, in Eastern spirituality and New Age spirituality um, that can maybe speak to this a little bit better than I can. I can. His name is L.T. Jayakandran, and he's a, as I said, he's a Christian apologist, and he says that New Age expresses itself in the following ways. The first is a rejection of cognitive knowledge or logical thought in favor of what he calls intuitive knowledge or feelings. The second is spiritual experiences via, via literally extraterrestrial encounters, magic, psychic powers, and the demonic. The third is the idea of the astrological age of Aquarius, kind of the the uh, what you what you would hear kind of a lot of actually it's very popular on college campuses astrology um, kind of your, how your birth month uh, aligns with the stars and, and that will predict what will happen to you in a given day or or whatever might be the case it's very popular in new age spirituality the fourth is unlocking the mystery of the universe through sex and sexual promiscuity and sexual experiences kind of experiencing ultimate reality through sex. The fifth is the focus on ecology, especially in its connection with feminism, kind of the idea of mother nature, and the personification of the earth with feelings that affect the planet's natural order. We actually see this kind of has happened with COVID-19. A, a lot of people, especially within wokeism, have what would come out and say things like, mother nature is fighting back against us for um, how we've treated this planet and because of climate change that she gave us this terrible and horrific virus. It's stuff like that that uh, from New Age that starts to seep into wokeism. The sixth is the emphasis on vegetarianism, and the seventh is the desire to live on through reincarnation. Now, many of these expressions are extremely evident and pervasive in our culture today through wokeism. We see that devout woke followers uh, today engaging directly with these beliefs. Consider sex, for instance. It's not a secret that we live in an over-sexualized culture. Hollywood and the media are constantly pushing sexualized images into the masses. Modern feminism tells us that songs like WAP by Cardi B, a song that lauds sex and utterly objectifies women, is actually a cultural symbol of female empowerment. We're told that films like Netflix's Cuties, which overtly sexualize young girls, is culturally acceptable, and if you say anything contrary, then you're a bigot. We also see the paganistic, paganistic obsession with the environment. As I mentioned in the COVID-19 example, um, 
but also uh, with, with other types of climate change activists going as far as to literally worship the planet directly. In 2015, at the Pope Francis Moral Action on Climate Justice Rally, you had a, a, a group of climate change activists worshiping the earth, singing a song called Love Song to the Earth. It's paganistic. It's very, um, it, it's a paganistic obsession with the environment and with the planet. Now, I'm not saying that we can't love the planet and we can't take care of the planet, but to worship it is, is a whole nother topic of conversation. It's a whole nother category. It's idolatry. At a 2017 protest in London, woke vegan activists uh, dressed in bikinis and staged a demonstration to, po to protest speciesism. Three women covered themselves in fake blood, wrapped themselves in a clear plastic bag, and laid on the sidewalk acting like dead animals. A sign on the bag uh, reads, quote, human meat, life itself, organic, and certified human, raised and handled. This is where wokeism has led. This is the new age beliefs that have been kind of adopted by wokeism and fed into protests and social activism and all these things um, that, are, that, that have created a kind of obsession with veganism and ecology and feminism and sex and astrology all these things are influenced by new age worldviews now the postmodernist and new age philosophy worldview uh have deeply influenced wokeism today and my hope is that by laying out all these uh all these things um that that you can see this connection that as they flow in to wokeism. I hope that I've successfully and accurately described described this and argued the assertion because I think it's really important to understand the roots of that which you are trying to combat. Now, by combat, I don't mean that we ought to go on the attack and try to, you know, make woke followers feel bad or anything like that. But but it helps to understand what they believe so that we can effectively minister to them and and use the Bible to correct and rebuke and train in righteousness, right? Now, it's important to note that, that though the religion subtly developed alongside postmodernism and recent popularizations of New Age, wokeism became most obviously present when it slipped into everyday language and actions of our media and activists and politicians. Now, similar to what postmodernism did in the 20th century, wokeism is driving today's culture in the West, especially in the United States. So that, that's what I'm talking about, how important it is to understand these roots so that we can effectively minister to a rapidly growing uh, worldview in this country. Now that we're aware of what wokeism is, what it believes, and what its roots are, it's crucial to understand how to actually go about responding to it and to its devout adherents. How can Christians effectively share the hope that we have with its followers, especially since their worldview is so in conflict with ours and many are actually hostile towards Christianity? When practicing apologetics and evangelism, it's crucial that we keep the primary goal in mind. That is, first and foremost, to present Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. 
So we're to represent Christ. If the Christian claim that Christ transforms hearts, minds, and lives is really true, then people will expect to see that transformation in our behavior and speech. If we don't live out the gospel that we proclaim to be true, then others aren't going to see Christ. They'll just see the hypocrites that follow him. But we don't want to be hypocrites. We're children of God, reconciled to the Father through Christ. So we shouldn't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of our minds to make us look and think and be more like Christ. So that's what Paul tells us in Romans 12. So to start, I think we ought to have the same heart posture as John the Baptist when he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. The world doesn't need to see more of us. It needs to see more of Christ. So if we're going to effectively minister to the woke, i.e. those who have made politics their religion and uh, who find their identity in temporary worldly things, then we ought to die to ourselves every day so that people receive Christ when we talk to them. Because as Paul says in in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So as we evangelize those who adhere to to wokeism, we can certainly share the gospel and employ all the arguments that we've discussed on this podcast before, uh, but something else uh, might be better to keep in mind, and that namely is what I would say is the greatest apologetic, love. Because love is the supreme ethic and the very essence of God. People who try to fill uh, this God-shaped hole in their hearts by following wokeism, or better yet, those who live in, in kind of constant fear of being canceled by the mob so they decide to comply with that religion, are these people are crying out for something more, something greater, and someone to love them as ambassadors of, of the God who is by very nature love, we ought to be his agents of love, shining his bright light to the world and faithfully representing Christ as we bring the gospel to a people who are suffering and in anguish, imprisoned by an ideology that is designed to keep them enslaved to their sins and their wicked desires. We need to recognize that these people need the goodness and the mercy and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. Dr. Preston Sprinkle with the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute says that love is the greatest defense of Christianity. Love, he says, is the ultimate bond of unity. We hear a lot about unity today, whether it be the unity in the church or as a country. But the problem with this type of unity we often uh, hear about, especially in, in politics, is that it almost always requires the compromising of truth. Love, however, is the only uh, sustainable unifier. Love of Christ, in particular, is the only thing that both unifies people and preserves the truth because Christ is the very embodiment of truth. Truth can't be found apart from Jesus Christ. So if we want to minister to followers of wokeism and, uh, and achieve our purported goal of unity, then we must first show love. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the theologian and pastor and 
a victim of the horrific killings in the Flosenberg concentration camp at the hand of the Nazis during the Holocaust, had this to say about presenting the love of Christ in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. Bonhoeffer says, Christian love draws no distinction between one enemy and another, except that the more bitter our enemy's hatred, the greater his need of love. Be his, his enmity political or religious, he has nothing to expect from a follower of Jesus but unqualified love. In such love, there is not inner discord between the private person and official capacity. In both, we are disciples of Christ, or we're not Christians at all. Now, I'm aware that I might be belaboring the point on love here, but this is the most crucial component of apologetics and evangelism. So, if if you do not present the love of Christ, it won't matter how good or well-structured or inarguable your defense for the Christian faith is. You will not be an effective evangelist. You just won't be. No one wants to follow a religion that doesn't produce fruit in even its most devoted followers. Always remember that love is the supreme apologetic. This is exactly what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.15. But in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now, I think it's important to note that love does not mean affirmation of other competing unbiblical beliefs. That's not what love means, even though the world might define it that way, right? You must be uncompromising in both truth and love, which can actually be a tricky balance. But remember that truth without love can come off as mean and, and judgmental. But love without truth, on the other hand, is completely ineffective. Always remember that, that you are speaking with someone that is a wonderful and beautiful creation of God, someone who's created Imago Dei. And so they ought to be treated as such, right? Like with dignity and respect. That is, by showing them love, and not a kind that is wishy-washy, but one that is strengthened by truth. Love has to be pre uh, presented right out of the gate, or evangelistic conversations will quickly hit a wall. I can definitely promise you that. So what does that mean? Well, maybe it means not getting into a heated debate and argument over who's the better president, President Trump or President Biden on Facebook. Maybe it means not yelling at people who disagree with you politically. Maybe it means that for those who are unvaccinated, that you don't try to separate them off from society and isolate them and make them feel like they're terrible people. Maybe for people who are vaccinated, you don't tell them that they made a terrible decision or that they're just being controlled or that they don't truly understand the science, that they don't truly understand what that vaccine will do to people, or like they're a sheep for getting the vaccine. You know, maybe we don't actively try to divide along political lines and social lines that are completely unbiblical. Maybe we try to present Christ, the love of Christ, which is, as I said before, the ultimate unifier, the only unifier that can, that will not compromise truth and that will be abundant in love. But what happens after that? How do we progress in conversations with those who follow wokeism? 
Well, first, it's important to realize uh, that people are following this religion for a reason, right? Like, they're not just following it because necessarily, like, it's just an option for them. Like, there's a particular reason for this. As I mentioned, there's this desire to fill a God-shaped hole in their hearts. They have a deep longing to be loved and to be known and to be cared for, uh, to be accepted. And it's imperative for Christians to lovingly communicate that that, that fulfillment uh, will only be found in relationship with their Creator. Second, it's important to give credit where credit is due, right? Like, if we can find any area of agreement with someone while, while, evangel- while evangelizing, without compromising truth, of course, then that's a good thing. So, Followers of this religion, of, of wokeism, they seemingly want to do good and to quote-unquote atone for their sins. Now this is particularly important, uh, and it's an important observation because uh, since this is a godless religion, they really have no logically consistent reason to want to do good, right? Because there is no objective standard for morality and moral duties, Now, it's interesting because wokeism certainly testifies to the existence of evil, right? Or else followers would have no need to, quote-unquote, atone for their sins. Now, since we can can find common ground here, uh, we can argue that if evil exists, then then good must exist. And if good and evil exist, then there must exist a moral law on the basis of which to differentiate between good and evil. And if there exists a moral law, then there must exist a moral law giver because simply discussing the problem of evil assumes that people have objective implicit value because the question is either raised about a person or by a person. So having inherent value and objective meaning and having objective moral duties and an objective basis of which to differentiate between the moral law requires someone who transcends uh, our conception of meaning and someone who transcends our conception of morality, who stands outside of us to set morality, who is by nature the anchor point of morality and, and the giver of inherent value because having inherent value and objective meaning is not possible without such a being. In fact, it's logically inconsistent in a non-theistic world. Now, this is a strong argument to present to those who don't believe in God in general, but it's a particularly strong argument for uh, woke adherents because um, they actually have a desire to do good. And where does that desire come from? Well, it seems to me that the most plausible source of that desire is God. Without God, the ultimate source of good, uh, uh, since goodness is his very nature, they would have no desires. Now, in regard to atonement, wokeism pretty clearly doesn't provide the proper mechanism from the Christian perspective, to put it lightly. Now, it's alluring, nonetheless, because its catechisms masquerade as a sort of means to salvation, and nearly everyone wants the assurance of salvation, right? Whatever that might mean to a particular person. Uh, But this confuses its followers uh, kind of into believing that if they perform the proper good works, or uh, you could say virtue signals, then they will have atoned for their wrongdoings. Now, this is a a works-based religion. This religion... uh, tells people that good works alone can bring salvation and forgiveness of sins. Sound familiar? 
Well, every other religion operates this way, giving a just completely hopeless view of salvation. But the, but, but the Christian worldview is completely countercultural to this. Christianity is the only religion that can give you the assurance of salvation. And that assurance is not found in doing good works or repeating certain, certain phrases or, or, or abiding by a particular ideology. It's found in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Christians, we know the source of salvation. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says that for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now this should uh, serve as encouragement to woke followers uh, uh, that you might be ministering to, because no longer do they have to live with this the anxiety of keeping up with the constantly shifting and changing uh, performative trends of virtue signaling. No longer do they have to live with the fear of having their atonement and salvation rejected by the woke priesthood for not properly adhering to the catechisms of that day or even that hour, depending on how fast it changes. Jesus, by his love and his grace, will provide to them all that they need, and they, and they can rest in the peace and security of the sovereignty and protection of the living God. Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives uh, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So let those who follow wokeism know that, that they can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because we have been justified by faith, by a Savior that has overcome the world. Therefore, People don't need to fear any more of cancellation. They don't need to have anxiety about anything, but they can take heart knowing that they have eternal security in the one who gave their life for them. Now, I understand how hard it can be as Christians to communicate with, with the woke and, and people who, who consider themselves woke. Maybe there's a political or ideological vitriol that, that's going on, or maybe there's a uh, a severe disagreement on particular issues like abortion or climate change or immigration policy, maybe COVID-19 or really any other politically divisive topic. And those are extremely important things, right? Like I don't want to, my intent's not to downplay the importance of those issues and like they should be debated. Like COVID-19 policy has really ripped through the nation and it's like those things should be debated. There should be room to discuss these issues. But if it's hurting our witness to Christ, we ought to stay, take a step step back and think about how we want to deal and and communicate uh, with these issues. What I'm trying what I'm trying to communicate is that division on political and ideological grounds doesn't uh, alleviate the divine commandment to carry out the great commission and present the love of Christ to all people by sharing His gospel. Division should only really enhance our drive and, and drive us further along so that we can see more people turn to Christ, be saved, and be brought into the unified family of God when they are justified by Christ. Jesus died so that our sins could be forgiven. He died for you, a sinner, and he, he died for me, a sinner, and he died for followers of wokeism, also sinners. The Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. But it also says that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And that gift is extended to God's elect because God is just and he is sovereign and he wishes that none would perish but that everyone should come to repentance and have eternal life. Christ has the power to change hearts and minds. So go forth, present his gospel, and give a reason for the hope that is within you with gentleness, respect, and the love of Christ.